having seen Chatham lose. Obviously, Channing Tatum, or Chatham, as I think you called him, uh, which I didn't know if that was a slip up or on purpose, but... I'm going to say it's on purpose. Yeah, I'm going to say it's on purpose, too, because that made me giggle silently. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 332 with a review of Foxcatcher. I'm Christopher Schneezy. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Um, this week, we had two reviews for you. Um, earlier in the feed, there is a review of The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. And then here, we are talking about Foxcatcher um how we doing this morning gentlemen pretty pretty well um (laughs) not you know not a fox but there was a skunk that i think was chilling around my apartment because it smells like a skunk up in here smells a little uh, type of the pew in there yeah up up (laughs) in uh team skunk catcher because it's it's so uh, it's so pungent like i i don't know what happened i guess one got all riled up last night and sprayed everywhere Ooh. either that I or can't... it's the taco bell uh fermenting in my trash can <laughs> i'm pretty it's a skunk though it's pretty smelly i i can't follow that <laughs> neither can i i'm fine uh, well <laughs> You know, I, I, I was going to pay for you guys to fly out to my giant uh, <laughs> property where I had Your extra houses set up for you Chris. guys. But, uh, Chris. Huh? Chris. Yes? Good. <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> lay off him, okay? <laughs> that, that, that was me being Steve Carell, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, you can't do that after a week where, like, every episode we tried to record, we got disconnected five times. <laughs> it's true. I was like, oh, shit, did we lose Steven again? Uh, or I guess did we lose me it would have been I don't know anyways now that that banter is all nailed at the beginning of this episode well you're gonna invite us nailed it. invite us to your podcast estate yes yes team, I, I, pod, team podcaster all, all I know is that uh, I'm sure these two guys on the podcast with me think of me as a mentor as a teacher <laughs> as a father as a son as a, all the things that you could think of me as but what, what does he want me to say <laughs> Chris is um, a philanthropist. Uh, he's kind of like a orthonologist. Yes, a, he's a full-on rapist. Phil- Philolo- <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I can't do this, you guys. I can't. Philander. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's a philanderer and ornithologist. Ortho- <laughs> He's a podiatrist, too. I hope people listening to this have actually seen the movie, because <laughs> otherwise it sounds like we're just making these terrible... Basically, we're all making fun of Steve Carell. So. <clears throat> well, we're not making fun. We're just riffing, I guess. True, true, off true. Off of but things that he yeah, said in the movie, yeah. We are we are repeating lines of dialogue in a similar manner and cadence to the way he does in this film. So Right. right. Very poorly. Not really doing it justice, but you no, know. No, not at all. So no. instead of attempting to do it justice, which we are failing at, we are just going to go ahead and play the trailer for Foxcatcher and then come back and give you guys a review. You know why I brought you here? Athletes need role models. 
like anyone, they need people to look up to. I want more than anything to win a gold medal. And we have someone who could do that. But there are some psychological issues that we need to take care of. I am leading men. I am training them. I am teaching them. I am giving them a dream. And I am giving America hope. All right, so you just listened to the trailer for Foxcatcher. Basically, we have a, a pair of brothers who used to uh, wrestle and, you know, have both won gold medals and all that jazz, and a rich man who lives on a estate known as the Foxcatcher Estate has invited uh, them out because he wants to win a gold medal, and by winning a gold medal, I mean coach a team in which somebody else will win a gold medal. And uh, it's basically the story of that trying to happen <laughs> sorry i blew that one but uh carson <laughs> why don't you start us off true story and, and uh, oh yeah based on true story yeah um so carson what did you think of this film um well uh in short kind of hard to transition from us being jokey about a non-jokey movie um but uh uh overall i thought it was one of the year's best for sure. Like I think uh, this is a movie that's definitely going to be getting a lot of awards attention, um, and for good reason too. Like I, I feel like last week we talked about some potential awards movies with uh, Rosewater and The Theory of Everything, and I feel like this <clears throat> Foxcatcher is the movie that uh, I expected out of something like. Uh, at least a theory of everything um, in the sense that it's sort of the very, it's very rich and it's very, uh, it it just has a lot more (laughs) going for it, but it it just feels like there's, you know, the, it's a very slow burn movie, but it feels like there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff being developed in it and it really gets you in the mood of uh, this world. Um, And, it's a very sprawling movie, but it never feels boring. Uh, and it always, you know, has this very, like, dangerous edge to it. Um, and, and, you know, being based on a true story, and if you know the outcome, you, you know where the movie's headed. But I feel like they did a really good job of keeping you on edge, even though you know how it's going to end up, uh, which is always a positive because like most movies where you know the outcome, it's just, you're just sitting there going like, okay, well, when is it going to happen? Um, and I feel like that this movie really gets into the minds of the characters uh, without really telling you uh, very much. It's all, it's all a lot of showing, uh, which I think is something that this approach, I think could have benefited uh, the th- not the theory of everything, but just like that approach to Stephen Hawking's life. Like I just thought that something like that would have benefited that movie. It's it's weird because like I was trying to like grasp for an example, and I I mentioned like a Beautiful Mind, but I feel like this movie is more in line with what I was thinking. But anyway, um, yeah, just it really gets into 
the darkness of the story and um all of the performances are top notch like i i think that you know steve carell he's you know they put him in this funky nose and he's talking in the weird voice um which could have been very distracting i think but within like the first couple minutes he's on screen like it completely goes away and he is this character uh especially after watching uh some of the videos of the real john dupont like he really nailed this character like he's this super eccentric guy uh and the way that he talks is exactly like that sort of just like off beat inflections in his voice and lots of pauses and it's very unnerving um and i think that steve carell really really nails it um and then we have you know we got a boy channing tatum c tates uh delivering like easily his best performance dramatic wise i think this is akin to when bradley cooper did silver linings playbook where you know he had like an incredible run you know showing off that you know, he can do comedy in the hangover and you know he can lead a movie like with limitless and then he showed that he just has like he can lead a movie and also be like have these really dramatic chops and i think channing tatum completely delivers the the sadness and the loneliness this character has or his character has uh and then mark ruffalo is always great um but he really sort of embodies his character as well um and it's interesting because bennett miller the director uh, who did Fo- uh, yeah of course he did foxcatcher uh who did <laughs> capote capote and moneyball which two movies i really loved um and they all they all have like sort of the same tone and style like they have these very like slow burner pace but i just something about his direction he knows how to really craft just like really engaging drama it's weird because i know like uh dave chen hates bennett miller like he is just not a fan of his but i don't know something about like his style like i just really dig like uh i think like the you know the the tone and the the period recreation of Foxcatcher is very much like capote you know that very dark and and sort of slow tone um and it, it's giving you performances that uh, it's obviously like very big actory kind of things but uh you know it's, it's also like there's a lot of subtlety to it which i think in moneyball you know brad pitt and jonah hill got nominated for that but i feel like you know the academy always goes for like oh the bigger like the grander performances and that movie was you know the acting was much more on a subtle level um but it's all just so good and i think that the the pacing and tone of this movie completely benefits it and by the time it comes to its conclusion like you you really do feel like you're on edge and there is just such an incredible amount of of detail to the film um and it just it has this very like i said a very rich like lived in sort of look and at times it almost plays like a documentary like i just felt like you know some of this stuff feels like it's actually happening like everything you know you kind of lose focus for a little bit that you're watching a movie uh you're watching actors act uh which is always a good sign um and i think that 
now I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, but I, it's, it's so good. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I, yeah, it just uh, it has that sort of documentary feel. And I think that, um, I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, um, it's just a really, really damn good movie. I thought that um, everything about it really nailed it. Oh, the other thing, I was, that's what I was going to say, that, that Bennett Miller... <clears throat> the reason he did this movie is because he said that he thought <laughs> he thought the story was a comedy. Um, he thought it was like the funniest, most absurd story he'd ever read with like the most tragic ending, um, which I think is pretty true. And I applaud him for casting someone like Steve Carell in the lead role, um, because I, I feel like if you tip this movie in a certain direction, it could totally be like this broad, like Will Ferrell playing John DuPont, this crazy wrestling coach, you know, this wacky sort of movie. Um, And at times, even before knowing that he viewed this as a comedy, I, and it probably was just because the characters, Channing Tatum's character's name is Mark, but I totally envisioned uh, like a parody version with Tommy Wiseau as John DuPont. And he's like, what do you hope to achieve, Mark? <laughs> um, and like, I just like totally thought, because like the character is like so eccentric to the point where, you know, he has a line where he's saying, you know, like, he's like, call me Eagle or Golden Eagle. And it's weird because like the audience in my theater laughed at that. Like they thought it was funny. And it's like, no, this isn't really funny like it's they're showing you how like you know far gone this man is or my audience uh, also cracked up at that line and and, you know yeah and i and i feel like a lot of the times audiences will laugh because they don't know what else to do like out of nervousness or whatever um but in that moment you know you could totally envision like uh will ferrell saying that like or like the scene in stepbrothers like call me dragon you know, uh, like it, it just it almost feels like if you tipped it the other way, it could be like this Adam McKay style comedy, um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, it's almost like they took a movie like Step Brothers and decided to do like the super, super dark version. Um, so anyway, and, and also, you know, I know that there there's probably liberty. I don't know the full story, but I, I read some of it online. Obviously, there were liberties taken with it and scenes that were embellished. But that's the great thing about this movie is that none of it feels that way. Like, it all feels true, you know? It feels like it's playing true. It doesn't have that feeling where the theory of everything, you're like, oh, okay, well, this totally feels like Hollywoodized or, you know, it's... It's grand, you know. It's it's made to look this way, or, or they change things. It it has that feeling, um, and that Foxcatcher doesn't have that feeling. So I, I appreciated it for that. Cool. Well, Stephen. Yeah, I think so. I can largely echo what Carson is saying in that this is definitely like a masterful film. Um, it is the quintessential slow burn like (laughs) this is a very slow movie but it builds this kind of weird brooding relationship uh between john dupont and mark schultz that's just deeply deeply unsettling (laughs) and you know that owes a lot of course to steve carell's performance which 
like Carson said, it could have been a just completely ham-fisted thing that detracts from the movie. Or he could have overshadowed the movie completely. He could have really overacted it. And the fact that he transformed this much would mean everybody would be talking about that and no one else in the film. Um, and instead, what he gives is a very... It's so... I don't want to call it subdued because it's still like deeply troubling. But he never goes over the top in, in a way that makes me think this could actually be very true to the real character of Jean Dupont. In that he's like... He's unsettlingly strange. He clearly is like craving mother's affection. He clearly has deep issues that he's working through. But he's also not violent seeming very often. Like like you you can believe how somebody would look past his flaws and take his money and think his heart is in the right place. Uh, mm. Which which is basically what you need to sell in this movie. Otherwise, this whole movie would become a sort of why the hell did you stay there? Look at how terrible it is situation. Um, and instead, it just it just builds this weird relationship so strongly. Um, Mark Ruffalo, I thought, was like fantastic in this too. Uh, because so Channing Tatum is, he does his role very well. But his role is kind of to be a confused, frustrated person who doesn't know what he wants yeah. out of life. Um, like, it isn't only the John DuPont thing that brings this on him. Even at the opening of the movie, he already seems distant and a little bit awkward um, in his relationship with his brother, in the way he goes about his daily life. Uh, and so by comparison, Mark Ruffalo, I thought it was such a, a breath of fresh air to see like a sort of caring, gentle soul in the movie, which is certainly what he plays. Um, and it, just the way even that they move, kind of, they walk with their arms down in sort of a hunch and a wide stance in this, like, this way that is clearly brought about by having wrestled for years. But it just kind of infuses their whole mannerism, the way they, like, touch each other, the way he'll pat people on the back. Uh, I thought that those kind of things were so particular that they also had to be based on the real characters uh, though i've never i've never seen anyone but john dupont in video um so it's a very intense film certainly one that builds up discomfort after discomfort until finally in in the final few minutes of the movie the thing that you know is going to happen happens um and for that i can i can praise it as being very masterful and certainly it's going, it should be up for awards and deserves to win them, especially for the actors and the things that it did. What I'm not positive the film had was a point or a reason to be telling me the story outside of the fact that it is a messed up story. Um, and maybe part of that is just the the lack of an emotional anchor in the film, like the lack of a person that I could latch onto and think, this is their motivation, I feel what they feel. I am, if not rooting for them, I'm at least somehow invested in them. And this film definitely took much more of a detached look than that. It was more just like the camera pans back and shows you this uh, this inevitable drama that's going to take place. And it builds and builds the tension, but maybe partly because it's a true story and people know the ending. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't aim to grip you at all. It just aims to present it in a very um, long-lasting way, but not in one that keeps you invested, if if that makes sense. Like, 
academically, I loved this movie and I loved the characters in it. I loved the portrayals in it. I thought it was very, very confident, very boldly made. But as a viewer who actually goes to see a film because I want it to resonate with me somehow, then I feel like it, probably similar to Capote, it didn't care about doing that for me. Uh, it cared very much about building this unsettling world, but not about making you feel a reason for staying. Um, and I don't know, that, that led to a weird contradiction of like one of the best made films I've seen all year that also had very little emotional resonance with me. Uh, I, I think maybe I'd be curious to see how Chris felt to know which side of the fence he lands on with this. I just wanted to say real fast that like I saw the movie a week ago uh and it i mean it resonated with me like it stayed with me for you know I, I a couple think days so, after the fact so maybe i should say the it stays with you the unsettling feeling stays with you yeah. what doesn't stay with me is why it was made like like there are themes of jealousy and strange you know strange relationships and seeking power and seeking authority uh there are all of these themes kind of intermixed but i didn't I, I didn't feel one arc that it was telling me which is okay it's just maybe not the movie that i was hoping to get from from performances so strong but maybe i'm the only one i don't know <laughs> um so to figure out what fence side of the fence i land on um it is the opposite side of the fence that you guys are on. Uh, I I mean, it, it, it's interesting listening to both your guys' recounting of the film. And I, and I think that that the praise that Carson has for it um, makes me want to just violently rile against it. Because I, I really genuinely hated this movie. Like, I wow. I did not... I, there, there, Stephen kind of calms me down with the parts that he does celebrate on it because like there is a lot of stuff with the performances and the mannerisms of the characters and and that, like I I kind of agree with what what uh, Stephen is saying about the film being made technically well but um, but there's still like you guys you guys have both talked about how Steve Carell's performance um could have been seen in this silly way or or could have you know gone over the top and passed too far into you know being comical and for for me like for for me the first time we meet uh we meet this character you know it, it worked for me um up until up until uh Channing Tatum actually moves to his estate I, I was totally on board that like there there was this unsettling strangeness to this character, but he quickly becomes a joke to me, like like a really bad joke. Um, the scenes where he's trying to wrestle and things like that, it just it comes off in in a way that I just can't take seriously, and it doesn't like. Obviously, there that we're we're supposed to like feel sad towards him, like because he's clearly delusional and he's sort of just ridiculous in a way that like you you see his motivation like there's there's a scene where uh his mother comes by the wrestling gym to kind of view what this whole wrestling thing is that he's in and he kind of stops the entire practice to like try to actually coach himself instead of just letting other people do the coaching for him and we're supposed to feel that as like a super tragic moment in which like 
look, he's trying to the best he can at like 50 years old or whatever he's supposed to be. Um, he's, he's really trying to communicate, like, look, I know what I'm doing and we're trying to do this stuff. And you can see this disappointment in his mother's eyes and you see his disappointment in himself because he couldn't impress his mother. Like all that stuff should be sad, but really it's just Steve Carell and weird makeup flopping around on the ground in this absurdly like silly way. And it's, it's not that I couldn't take it serious. It's just that there was, I wasn't able to emotionally grab onto anything about this character other than the fact that he's ridiculous. And part of that is because like we, we see Channing Tatum's like, like Channing, Channing Tatum is basically playing Anthony Mackie's character from Pain and Gain. Um, and he, he's just this guy who really has nothing in life other than wrestling. But even that, like, you know, he, he at one point in time had a gold medal and now his life is sort of just practice in the morning, go home and eat my ramen and then practice in the evening. Like, like there, there's supposed to be this, like this sadness to of like a guy who only knows wrestling and and what is he going to do? Oh, this old man comes around who offers him a life where he can actually do this, like, well, make money off of it and possibly go back and reclaim his gold in another, He want, you know, he wants to become the best. He wants to become big. And, like, there, there's never, I don't know, I, I think that narrative quickly just disappears in this film in, in a way where, like, in, in the opening five minutes of the film, like, I'm, I'm immediately on board. I know this character. I, I feel for him. I, I see the sorrow in his life and, and, and I can see why this, 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 you know, Steve Carell's character entering into his life and offering him this chance to do something big in a way that allows him to support himself and be encouraged by it. Like he, he, he feels that like, you know, if we do this, like this is America, we want to go win the gold for America. We want to be like, I, I want to do something with my life, use my ability in this way. Like I'm totally on board with that. And it sort of just immediately, as soon as he arrives at the estate, it sort of becomes like not relevant to the story. Um, I do agree with you guys that Mark Ruffalo is fantastic in this movie. Um, I think if he wasn't in this, I like there would be absolutely nothing for me to care about in this movie at all. Because um, he is really, the, like, and the problem is that he's not the main character in, at any point in the film. He's sort of just this guy who's passing through in a way. And, like, I, I really cared for him, his family, his love for his brother, um, his way to try to help his brother. But, I like, I don't... Like, I, I, unlike you guys, I didn't know this story before I saw the movie. Um, I didn't look anything up uh, before the movie. I don't pay attention to wrestling or really the Olympics at all. So, like, I just, it wasn't in my eye. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, the only thing I even knew about that there'd be any sort of unsettling nature is a shot in the trailer, um, which actually ends up being, like, halfway through this movie and not really suspenseful at all. And... I don't know. For, for me, the entire movie, I was wondering what the point of the story was. And, and I feel like the ending of, of this whole entire narrative may be a true story, but no event in the film leads me to that place. Like, it totally feels like the ending doesn't belong in this film um, to me because I didn't know it. So maybe for you guys, knowing how this story ends and, and where the entire arc is building towards. Maybe it's a satisfying ending for you, but to me it feels like, how was that possibly earned? Like, nothing in this story leads me to that moment in any way. And I, I don't... For, for, for me, I can see some of, the, some of the praise you guys are giving it for how it's made, but from a narrative standpoint, I thought this film was terrible. Like, there, there's... I, I, don't, I don't know a better way to say it. Like, there, it's... 
it, it, yeah, I, I don't know, because I, I do think maybe the prior knowledge of where it was going helps, though, to be honest, I I knew what happened at the end of this film, but I didn't remember which person it happened to. Yeah. <laughs> um, But I still, I, I knew the dynamic of it. And in that light, you kind of watch the film and his unrest and the ways in which he's uncomfortable kind of fit in that paradigm of what he's building towards like i basically i can neither confirm nor deny that knowing the truth helps somehow because yeah. certainly when i saw his behaviors and his discomfort they all fit in the same kind of story of jealousy and authority and one person overshadowing another and flipping between being unconfident and needing an authority figure versus resenting the other person in my mind that was communicated really really well but again i can't i can't undo it and just watch it without any prior knowledge but but it's communicated at moments between different characters at different times and and in each of those little moments yeah it works but i guess i don't feel like as a whole like like if if, if we were in spoiler territory right now and, and you asked me why that character did what he did to that person I could not explain it to you at all. Like I would have no clue. I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom a guess, um, especially considering the characters involved. Like I, I, I could, if, if it happened to a different character, I could explain it. I could go like, Oh, like I, I, I'm sorry, I couldn't explain it, but I could assume what was supposed to be being communicated. But instead I'm just like, what the hell and why? And it's because I didn't know anything about the story that scene earlier informed how I viewed the rest of the film because like, you know, the trailer presents this, this sort of unnerving moment. And when it happens, it's so deflated between the nerve of what I'm waiting for that once that's gone, it, 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 it just, now I'm like, why, why am I watching? Like what's yeah, going though I, on? Though I actually thought when I saw that, I thought it was clever that the trailer managed to not spoil the ending yeah. But still hint at the fact that an intense thing was going to happen, but kind of come out of left field and have that not actually be the scene that, <laughs> I yeah. don't know, I, I, I found that kind of clever, actually. I liked that it didn't spoil it. No, it, it's clever from the standpoint of making it, but the problem is the way the narrative is told in the story and, and, and where it goes, like it, it, it goes from being clever to having the exact opposite intention of what it did. Like, I... Yeah, it, it just something about the way, and then there's the fact that like, I the simple premise around the story is that this guy wants to like this guy, the Dupont guy or whatever, want, wants to to win gold and and have these like great wrestlers and stuff. But like, there's never a point. Like he he is counter like he is directly responsible for for any non-win that they get because of of his inability to like he's he's not a coach he's a guy who owns a gym and he walks around like watching everybody train like yeah he, but that's right, the but point he's of this character of, though yeah he's incapable of seeing that i think that's the uh like his his dream was i think to want to to do to wrestle like uh the schultz brothers but he never could but he but he also never is like it, it's not just that he can't like I'm fine with that being the idea is like like he never really was able to do anything and then like 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 that's fine like that 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 makes sense but the problem is that that he not only 
isn't able to wrestle himself, but he is directly standing in the way of the people he is hiring to become good wrestlers becoming good wrestlers. So, like, so, you know, Channing Tatum goes to his estate so he can train, but, like, there's not really scenes of him training. There, there's scenes of him running, but there's there's no indication that he's getting better. There's only indication that he's getting worse. And it's, I don't, like... Well, obviously, the, the you know, the whole reason why he wants to bring in Mark Ruffalo's character is because he knows that he is the better of the two and that Mark Ruffalo could train all these guys to be gold medal winners because... Steve Carell really is not even the coach. I mean, he's just there to sort of represent everyone. Yeah, but that, that, that's my problem. Is like, like there's, there's, like, first of all, he arrives at the place two months before the first championship, or whatever. Like, if you're really gonna take a guy and make him a world champion in two months, like that's seems insane to me. Like, but, but obviously there, there was, there was that championship, and then there was also, you know, the you know, the the actual Olympics that were coming later on the road. So there was like a long game being played, but I just, I don't know, there, there's... I mean, the the wrestlers he got were, it's not like they didn't know how to wrestle at all. It's a, He got people who were clearly already medal I mean, winners. already gold medalists. Yeah, they've been to the Olympics, so it's not like mm-hmm. they were training like complete newbies or something. But, but no, I mean, he's clearly delusional in that he... He thinks he is providing something when really it's just financial support and a place for them. Yeah, to I mean, that, with I think that's other. the whole point of the movie is that this the Dupont family was this long line of uh, successful people, and it's now come down to John Dupont, and he really doesn't have any sort of talents. Like he didn't succeed in the way that his other family members did, and it's clear that his mother has been very hard on him. And that there is obviously some longing and uh, ambition to be, you know, part of the wrestling community, but that never really came to fruition. And that, you know, the only way he can really be a part of it, I guess, is that, you know, he's so rich, he can have these, these gold medal winners and these guys come out and train at his estate and he can, you know, sort of win through them. And I think there's certainly but honestly, element- he has he has no real talent with you know wrestling he just is sort of doing it because you know he he's trying to to do something mm-hmm. i i think there's an element too of and and that line about calling channing tatum an ungrateful ape in the trailer shows this that his method of bringing up wrestlers is like his mother's method of raising horses like just yeah. collecting pretty things leaving them on their own and like watching them from a distance and seeing the empire that you built without actually having any of the human connection that someone like Mark Ruffalo's character does that could actually help people. Like for all of the stuff that he's doing, anytime Channing Tatum is successful, it's because Mark Ruffalo helped him. It isn't because uh, John DuPont somehow had a brilliant insight. Like like, like the scene where he's... um. He's showing off in front of his mom and coaching them. Yeah. He's teaching them a wrestling move. Yeah. He is like so painfully uncomfortable yeah. in how clearly he knows nothing about what's going on. Right. And that's but, the whole point even, of it. The, the the best part of that scene is is not Steve Carell's acting. It's not the mother's reaction to him. It's not anything other than the way that that uh, Mark Ruffalo realizes what's really going on. And then when when 
when Steve Carell bails out of what he's doing because the mother leaves the gym, Mark Ruffalo doesn't go doesn't go like, all right, back to what I was doing, guys. He like tries to soften the blow by like getting mm-hmm. everybody else to do the same move that he was just, like there there is a a compassion to Mark Ruffalo that makes that scene not a complete waste of time. But like for me, it was like that it's I mean, I don't think it was a complete waste of time because it shows exactly what Steve Carell's character is all about, what he's doing. But then I mean, take, take take the ending in context with with that scene. So if everything, if, if that scene communicates everything about what he's trying to do, the end scene is directly opposition to the thing he's trying to accomplish with this entire film. Well, I think we need to have a spoiler territory because I think the film perfectly conveys exactly you know the the motivations that Steve Carell's character has into what he does. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, would say this warrants a short spoiler territory. I don't know why. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like it was definitely conveyed as to why he does what he does. All right, well, we'll have our short spoiler territory, but I don't think you'll be able to convince me. <laughs> I don't think so either, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am surprised though that you would find uh, Steve Carell's character Chris to be largely a joke or not nuanced acting because I, I felt like part of the slowness of this film and the reason that I would my main criticism of it as a viewer is that I wasn't sure why the story was being told and nothing was necessarily nothing was trying to bring me in uh, is because he doesn't in my mind, he doesn't go over the top. His whole character is a very awkward, like, trying sometimes to make a connection and be friendly, but always with this weird distance. And I feel like seeing him and seeing the other characters act off of him as people who are grateful and feel like something is off with him, but also want to be in his good favor. Like, I feel like those dynamics in any of the dialogue he has are, like, really strongly done. Well, I, I think I think that with so with Channing Tatum, I, I totally believe that Channing Tatum doesn't see him as weird because of what he represents to Channing Tatum. Like Channing Tatum is completely like not starstruck because he didn't really know who he was, but he is he is nothing but grateful. And he is blinded by uh, this supposed generosity of this man because it, it it lines up with his dream of what he can do with himself. But I the other characters, like, I don't see why anybody else doesn't think it's weird. Like, even, even, uh, you know, even his, like, I almost called him a henchman, but his, his, like, dude who's, like, going around paying other people behind the scenes just to keep them, like, like, you know, Mr. DuPont doesn't need to know the truth behind this. Here's some money or whatever. Like, yeah, dude, Anthony Michael Hall right up in here. Yeah. Like, bring it back to the breakfast club. Like, like, he, his character clearly doesn't think very much of him. It's just a job. Like it, it's, it's mm-hmm. he he likes getting his paycheck and that that's fine. Like there, there's never a point where I feel that his character is is super th- sympathetic to to Steve Carell or or trying to make sure that guy. Like he he's really just like yeah, I gotta keep the peace, do this stuff, and we'll take care of all this stuff behind the scenes. Um, and and like I said, Channing Tatum is is blinded by the generosity that he sees in this person, but like. Mark Ruffalo never, I never get the sense that Mark Ruffalo thinks anything highly of DuPont at all. But, you know, at one point, DuPont, DuPont flies to him in a helicopter and offers him apparently what I can only assume is enough money to make him give up all the things that he didn't want to give up beforehand. Um, and he's sort of just 
there because it now makes sense as opposed to because he really likes this guy or wants to be there or believes in what that guy is doing. Like, like there's, there's not a sense that like no one in this film outside of the first like 30 minutes ever feels like they're really working towards a goal. Um, the, the thing is, I, I don't get the sense that anyone in the film, including Channing Tatum is blind to the strangeness of John DuPont and the potential instability of it. I, I get the sense that they are they're purposely deluding themselves enough to be able to keep the money coming and keep their situation going. But any kind of dynamic where he's like introducing him to someone else is it's like the way you introduce like I don't I don't even have an analogy. Like it's it's clearly he is introducing someone gently that's like this person has some problems. I want to be making an introduction to you, but I recognize that this is very weird and very cold. I I don't know. I I never really got the sense that people were looking up to John DuPont. Like maybe Channing Tatum in the first ten minutes of the movie. No, I I think I think up until the helicopter scene plus smash cut to douche haircut, um, up until that moment, I think he completely one hundred percent thinks this guy is like amazing. Um, and, and and a lot of that I, I don't know I, that that's just the, totally the way I read it. Once things once we have that like sort of time jump, um, I think that they're and he, he, even honestly shortly after that I I believe that he still is sort of on board like that like th- there's this they have like a very very strange relationship um, in that scene with, it, with where they're sitting on the porch um, where we first see Jenny Tatum's new hair um, mm-hmm. and like there's just a weird sort of closeness they have that lets me believe that Channing Tatum is like fully like drinking the Kool-Aid of Mr. DuPont and I think it's not until that next competition that that start starts to change like once DuPont says like you know hey we need your brother here like that's bottom line um I think that's where it changes once that helicopter lands and Mark Ruffalo gets out of it that's where his world starts to fall apart and he realizes that he's not DuPont's golden goose that he is just a guy who is part of DuPont's play to get something that DuPont wants. And and I think that that from that moment, Channing Tatum literally starts to remove himself from the story. Well, I agree with some of what you're saying in the sense that I think that Channing Tatum is definitely, he looks up to John DuPont, his character. But I mean, I feel like we're going to have to go, I mean, I don't even... I guess we'll have to go to spoilers, even though it's based on a true story. So you kind of know what you could go read what happens. But um, I think it his motivations. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess you will have to do it for spoilers because. Right. Unless you unless you don't care. I mean, it is no, a no, true no, story. Well, we'll, well, yeah, but true, true story. It's not like something that is currently happening in the news that you, yep. you it, this is no an event that you can look up if you want to spoil it for yourself but i don't yeah. like it's most people only know it because the movie was coming out and they googled it i certainly yeah. didn't know beforehand yeah this isn't like the oj trial where it was like part of of normal culture no i know it's Spoiler not for as big. Dog 30 <laughs> <laughs> right um so yes so should we just wrap this up then and then get to spoilers afterwards? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't I didn't know if anybody had any final uh, thoughts, but 
All right, so we are going to wrap this episode up and then get to spoilers after we close out, but let's get to our verdicts first. Uh, Carson, if you were going to give this a must-see, recommend with a caveat, wait for until pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? I would definitely give it a must-see. I think this is a movie that is uh, worth seeking out, and hopefully I can try and convince people otherwise on this show, but I won't. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, we must see it. though. I, I think you really people should go out and see it. Like I, I, I don't think you should avoid it. I, even if you end up not liking it, you should still go see it though. We, we need at least one killing them softly a year, Carson. So <laughs> I guess this is this year's. I guess so. Yeah, Stephen. Yeah, I mean it. This is almost the same struggle that a movie like Ida had with me, where in terms of only my praise is probably stronger as are my criticisms um in terms of like technical excellence and acting and movie making and overall like building a very real mood and driving that mood home to unnerving heights i would say this is a must-see film in terms of being easy to engage with or being a pleasant viewing experience, it's more of like a wait for rental. So I'll average it out with recommend with a caveat, which is that this has this has very strong performances and it is unsettling. And like I kind of take back the way I phrased before, because Carson's right, it sticks with you. Like I'm still unsettled by it. But I don't think I'm rooting for it as a story that needed to be told, or as something that brings home themes that somehow make a point so recommend with a caveat very interesting movie but a difficult movie and i am the lone wolf on this podcast uh it didn't resonate with me at all other than to think of like damn it that was a long movie for something that didn't pay off in any way whatsoever for me personally um i give it a must avoid um but that's just because the experience for me was a waste. I, I do. There are things to appreciate in it. Um, you know, as I said earlier, some things that I enjoyed about it. But overall, the narrative doesn't work for me. Um, I didn't know anything about where it was going. So once it gets there, it's not a it's not a paying off of something it's been building to. It's a thing that comes out of left field that I guess we'll get to in spoilers in just a moment. Um so for me just must avoid so there you have it i'm the crazy one so for now i'm grateful ape (laughs) (laughs) that's me uh well you know uh, uh, one day i'll be an old man with a ton of money and i will hire a young lad to come start a podcast where he can talk about how good this film was so i can make up (laughs) for the fact that i wasn't able to enjoy it um (laughs) That's that's yeah. Anyways, I, I will say compared to uh, Bennett Miller's other films like Moneyball, this certainly does not have the crowd pleasing aspect oh, in no, its favor no. at all. <laughs> like Money Moneyball is one of those rare things that it builds intensity, but the whole way is also like a like want to stand up and cheer for the movie. Yeah, <laughs> this certainly does not have stand up and cheer moments. It very defiantly doesn't give you any of them. <laughs> True. I mean, which I I appreciated that, and it does feel more in line with Capote, which had a very consistently dark. Mm-hmm. Though, though uh, I would say tone to it, Capote gave you the 
big emotional lows. Like it had the big dramatic moments yeah. in it where this film sort of mutes those a little bit. It Yeah. It, it tries to be repressive like the Foxcatcher Ranch <laughs> almost. Yeah. But I mean I feel like that the tone for this fits with the story. Mm. Um but yeah, it is not it is a complete 180 from Moneyball. Although I still think just as well made. Well, I, I actually liked Moneyball, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It was right. crowd, crowd pleasing. Let's go ahead and close this out then and then get the spoilers. So, uh, Carson, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, you can find me at practicalcandy.wordpress.com. Steven? You can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show, including our review of the new Hunger Games film. Uh, if you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. Music for the episode will come possibly from a soundtrack to Foxcatcher. So hopefully you're enjoying that. The music is fading up now. Uh, We're going to say goodbye. Music's going to fade up all the way. And when it fades out, we're going to come back with some spoilers so that you guys can hear these two guys try to explain the ending to me in a way that is satisfactory. So I know you're excited for that. Um, so stay tuned. And hey, if you're the type of person like these guys who knew what the story was or Googled it or any combination of that, maybe you can stick through to the spoilers because it's less of a spoiler for you than it is for anybody who doesn't know about the story who is planning on seeing this film. All right, this is spoiler territory for the film The Foxcatcher, or just Foxcatcher. We are going to be talking about spoilers for the ending of the film and maybe a few beats throughout. So if you care to not be spoiled, you should not be listening to this. Everyone else, here we go. So guys, how do you want to do this? Do you want me to kind of say why things don't make sense and then you can explain why it does? Or do you guys want to explain why you think it makes sense and then I'll tell you whether or not that works for me? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we explain first. I feel. Do you have reasons why it doesn't make sense, or you just think it didn't motivate I, it? I, 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 I so I'll, I'll just, I'll just kind of go into it a little bit, and then. So, for, I mean, first of all, like you know, it's like my gut reaction at the end of the film is like, what and why and what? Like, so it's, it's like that. That in and of itself is like I'm, I'm just my initial reaction happens, and I'm trying to like run back through the film as best I can and try to figure out what's going on. So for me, it, it, it's it's pretty clear from the beginning that the only reason why DuPont is interested in, in, in Mark is because he's actually interested in his brother. Is that first statement true? Yeah, I would say that. Okay, so him coming to the state is really just a ploy to get his brother there anyway. So there's never a point in the film where I feel that Mark is the true like star of this plan that dupont has he's just like the next best thing he can get or a stepping stone to getting his brother to come on by i'm actually not sure i i do think he clearly wanted his brother 
his brother was the prize. I think he wanted both. uh, But when he finds out he can't have him, then he decides defiantly, like, we are going to make you better than your brother. You know, like, he grooms him for greatness. But, I mean, he's still still constantly asking Mark, you know, we need your brother here. Yeah, yeah, no, so so we're we're on the same page. The, 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 The main point is that, like, Channing Tatum is what he can get, not what he would prefer to have right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i i would say that yeah okay so so that's sort of the 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 film is presenting that to me that's the way i, I read it from the film as things progress basically steve carell screws everything up by getting channing tatum into coke and then not caring about practicing anymore or doing anything and then he reaches the point that like no we now at all costs need your brother to arrive so either way the end goal it, it, from the beginning best case scenario dupont gets mark ruffalo you know steve Carell gets mark ruffalo to come help people train and or compete himself and become the prize so from the time that mark ruffalo arrives on the scene he's never doing anything other than exactly what dupont wants and needs like he is his like he like steve Carell gets the guy he really wants to come on board then the guy who's failing him, uh, Channing Tatum's character, who who isn't doing anything good for him and is really just f***ing everything up, he decides to leave. Mark Ruffalo stays behind. He doesn't leave. He stays behind. So the thing that's failing leaves on its own accord. All Mark Ruffalo really did is say, like, hey, if I'm going to stay here, which I will, I need you to keep paying my brother. And then they both agree to that. But then DuPont gets pissed and kills mark ruffalo the one person who can actually make his dream come true simply because why so okay well i might backpedal a little bit on what i because i'm trying to i'll try to explain let me let me give it a shot because i was kind of disagreeing that mark ruffalo is the end game in this movie (laughs) it's confusing that mark is Mark Ruffalo's brother's name <laughs> in the why, movie? Yeah, <laughs> I, that's why I decided to abandon it and just name the actors. Yeah, yeah. so we'll we'll go last name. Uh, so I think Ruffalo. In, from what I can tell, Ruffalo is a coach, right? He can't wrestle anymore, or at least he is retired. Like it doesn't yeah. show him competing. I, I, right. Well, so so we from the language of the narrative of the film, uh, Ruffalo has always been and is still better than tatum mm-hmm. yeah tatum, even tatum, though they both yeah. they both won gold medals yeah, yeah but, but but like he was kind of overshadowed by ruffalo like, even even besides from a societal standpoint like in the in the in the beginning when they're doing their little spar like five minutes into the film like ruffalo has the upper, upper time the entire time like tatum can't land a move on ruffalo because ruffalo is just better so mm-hmm. It's not that he there, there's no reason why he can't wrestle anymore. He just doesn't because he has I'm assuming because he has a wife and, and kids and all that kind of jazz. So he has given up the desire to put his body through that sort of torture. Yeah. Um, in for this other life, which he is fine and happy with. Yeah. So, but, so in my mind, the end the end goal is to have this successful breeding ground for wrestlers, and the thing that will help it become this breeding ground is having a gold medal under your belt and tatum is meant to get the gold medal and dupont wants ruffalo there to help him at the beginning because he wants the best possible like the best possible scenario when he can't get that 
he gets confident and says, we can do this on our own. And he even has the speech, right, about like, your brother's overshadowing you, you can distance yourself from him, you'll be better for it. And I don't think that's just manipulative. I think he starts to believe this, like, we are the power team, I am a good coach. Yeah, (laughs) and we are going to do this. And then when it all starts to fall apart, he does this 180, which I will agree is a 180, but his character is also clearly like a schizoid, <laughs> uh, like prone to manic fits of backpedaling. Yeah, I mean, um, he was, in real life, John DuPont was a paranoid schizophrenic. Yeah, yeah so he suddenly, he suddenly decides, I have no confidence in you, we need Mark here, which, like, from Tatum's point of view, of course, destroys his confidence and his relationship with DuPont. Because it's like a betrayal. You've been proving to me. You've been telling me that I'm so great. And now it's clear that you don't believe it. Yeah. Um, and then you see Carell. I want to call him DuPont still, but I'll be consistent. <laughs> you, <laughs> you see Carell watching them and watching how this jealousy is flaring up that he always felt that he is inferior. Ruffalo is the one who has all the power. Ruffalo is the one that's really training people. And especially by the end when Ruffalo is making a bid for like, he's proving that he is essential and he's basically, he makes a bid that uh, the secondhand man says like, you know, you are overestimating your value. And he's like, Oh no, I'm not. So like already Corral kind of feels that he is losing this power struggle. And then Tatum loses. Uh, He doesn't win the gold medal. And so Corral does not get this one thing that he's been pushing for that was like the holy grail. And I think he's trying to figure out why. Why did I fail? Why do I feel like a failure? You know, especially coinciding with his, uh, the death of his mother, which clearly makes him like get further and further in this desire to bring something to the family. Yeah. And I think he convinces himself that the failure was losing power, that Ruffalo undermined him Cephalo, somehow, that Ruffalo... <laughs> Cephalo. <laughs> that Ruffalo Cephalo undermined him, um, and that his whispering ear, like, to Tatum and presumably to the other wrestlers, is the thing that is keeping them from winning somehow, that he wants all the power. And that is why he goes and shoots him as he decides i don't need anyone this is me i'm the coach and that that isn't informed by wikipedia like wikipedia doesn't say his motivations to my knowledge yeah um but i did feel that that tension of his his jealousy and the the comparisons between ruffalo and Carell as leaders in tatum's life is clearly that ruffalo is the one who knows how to deal with him and Corell is the one who really wants to feel like he knows what to do. Right. And that, in my mind, is the tension that snaps in the end as he's watching this great video of what could have been. He sees Channing Tatum being successful while they were alone. Like, he doesn't realize that Mark Ruffalo helped him do that, even in that championship. And then he thinks of the failure and he goes crazy. Well, so see, that's how I read it, anyway. And 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 that I I can kind of get on board with that, but I I feel like I I feel like there the language of, of the narrative that I'm that I was watching was that there's a point where Dupont or Carell gives up on Tatum, like he's not even concerned anymore with with him as a wrestler. But there is this weird sort of like I I don't even want to I almost want to say a weird sexual 
thing that he has yeah. toward, towards Channing Tatum, which is the only like it's the reason why he doesn't just kick him out of the thing because there's there there is like wh- whether it's sexual or or a father son type weird like b- basically there's one person on the planet who really believes in Dupont and that is that is Channing Tatum and I I feel that like he he abandons him as being his hopeful for getting this medal but he cares about him in this way that's that's on its own right a little weird um but i don't think he fully abandons hope because the final bargaining that happens is also he can be in the corner with him at the olympics so like he's abandoned the personal connection or the hope that tatum can do it on his own but i still feel like tatum's success is his hope and his end game but it's it's weird like even that while it might be true doesn't make sense to me because it's like Tatum stops training with everybody. He stops doing anything with like. There's there's no reason why he should even assume, other than his like own delusional nature, that Tatum is gonna do anything. And like the way that Tatum, like you know the, the scene where like they're doing like the weird little alligator roll thing, and Tatum is just like on the ground. Like it's clear that he's not trying. Like he's given up. Like he's not. Mm-hmm. He knows he's a failure. And and the other weird thing too is what you were saying before is that that dupont sees the brother as necessary because the brother is what can make tatum a good fighter without even hiring him he's getting that because the brother mm. is showing up to these same matches because his brother is coaching other people but what, he, what does he do he always gets in in tatum's corner he always gives him the advice he wants him to succeed too so it's like he's almost getting a free <laughs> a free coach without needing to actually have a coach because Tatum can still go to his brother with tapes of the people he's about to fight and ask him for help. And so it's like he's already getting that support without having to go out his way to give up that power in the first place. So it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's just a confusing narrative and not in like the good way where I want to piece it apart. It's in the way that like, I'm like the entire time I'm watching the movie, I'm just like, what is the freaking point of this? See, I saw it as like, it's a convoluted power struggle where he, Carell is working against himself because he wants all these things, but then he also has this, like, childlike sense of jealousy and desire for authority and power. Yeah. And I think yeah. what you're seeing in the large beats of the film, like, when he shouts at Tatum and says he should never have gotten him there, and the final gunshot, these are spurts of him overreacting to something that has been brimming. And he isn't adult enough to go back and ask for forgiveness in the former case or somehow make amends. Instead, he just pretends it didn't happen and then lives as if it hadn't. So I I don't think you can read him as someone where everything is like meticulously planned and then he sticks with it and keeps going. It's more like he's an unstable person and these are the elements that are brooding inside of him which keep him from getting what he wants. Well, I, I guess for me, and, and maybe this is like what I've been taught from films I've seen or stories I've seen in the past, and maybe that's this is my problem, but I, I guess I feel like if I would have felt that there was this conflict building inside of him of the, I know I need Ruffalo, but my understanding that I need my power back more overrides my, my logical, like if there was some sort of conflict in his mind where he's like, where he feels that like the only way like the only way to win one of these things is to kill him like I, I never see that conflict in his character so Carell takes this action with what 
like i mean i guess you could argue that it's such a psychotic break that that he doesn't like it, there's nothing even happening he's just like boom go away and now i'm gonna drive back to some tunnel that i'm gonna run through where the police are gonna be waiting on the other side of the tunnel like there, there's i never get a real sense that he is even dealing with the like no this is more important than where ruffalo could get me in the future i need to take this power back and this is how i'm gonna do it but i feel conflicted about that it just feels like well i watched this documentary about me i think i'll go shoot mark ruffalo now but only if it's not snowing like, so I, I i feel like right before the uh right before the gunshot you do not see this i do feel like in the scene when ruffalo is helping tatum get back on track and uh Carell keeps trying to get in there and talk to him and ruffalo keeps turning him away you know like he's walking and talking then he turns around then he turns back and tries to come in again and ruffalo pushes him back again yeah and then there's a look that he gives i feel like things like that are communicating that exact struggle where he wants authority and also wants to win and those two things stand in conflict with each other and then having seen chatham lose and then being reminded of how great he had been is telling him that this like sacrifice he made was not even correct like i gave up my authority so he could win and he still didn't i'm taking my authority back yeah Yeah. it just sucks because that scene is behind closed doors so Mm -hmm. we we don't we don't hear what the dialogue is because for me in that scene like the way i read that is you know obviously channing tatum or chatham as i think you called him um uh which i didn't know if that was a slip up or on purpose but i'm gonna say it's on purpose yeah i'm gonna say it's on purpose too because that made me giggle silently but anyway so chatham has just tried like he knows he's not gonna win so he is like eating like 15 servings of food so he can purposely lose the weight so that he can't compete or sorry lose he he's going to gain enough weight to fail the weight check-in so that he can't compete at all i guess is the way uh, obviously i'm viewing that so Mm -hmm. i feel that like ruffalo is not he's keeping away because i took that scene to be that like it's not going to be good for chatham if dupont Carell comes in and talks to him in that moment because he's probably going to be upset that he almost blew the competition or something like so he's like he's protecting his brother not like keeping uh dupont out for any sort of like powery struggly reasons he's like he's like look just don't go in there i'm fixing the situation it's going to be okay he's going to compete he'll be good as opposed to like hey stay out of my teaching zone yeah but i think you can see from the way that uh, yeah Carell believes the coach being a mentor and the coach yeah being like the he one wants to helping them. yeah he, he wants he be, is and th- that exact fact that uh muffalo is not uh, <laughs> isn't expressly like explicitly ever questioning his power but his behavior is such that it's like you are a nuisance like you would hurt the situation yeah yeah i think I can extrapolate to that going on in Steve Carell's mind, even if the film doesn't show it happening. Like, I feel like it's built up his insecurities to the extent that you can, you can completely buy that, even if you don't see, like, a moment of it all clicking in his eyes the moment before it happens. Yeah, because, I, mean, I, I mean, that's why I think this movie, that's why I appreciated this movie so much, is that, like I said, there's there's a lot of showing and not telling in terms of, like, the mindset of Steve Carell's character. And I think that, you know, his unstableness isn't depicted in some theory of everything like way where it's like very on the nose. Like, I feel like that the actions that he takes 
are stuff that are left up to the viewer or, and, you know, that are just showing you, you know, getting you inside his mind without like really going like, you know, without having someone to come out and be like, well, here's what everything is. It, it, it's kind of funny because like, because bo- bo- both of you guys. I guess no one, no one cared about that. Well, like. So, no, because I mean, you, Chris, you, you said you wanted to hear that conversation between them between ruffalo and corral when he came up and he was, it's not that i didn't hear anything hear it. it's not that i wanted to hear it. it's 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 that because i couldn't hear it i'm so so the statement i was going to make was not that i was ignoring you it, it was i was going to add add insight to it because i feel like because both you guys knew a little bit of the story you guys are viewing this as dupont's story mm-hmm. which is why you come at that scene from that way the narrative mm-hmm. of the film knowing nothing about it starts by telling us it's Channing Tatum's story. So when I saw that scene, I'm looking at Carell's reaction as disapproval of Channing Tatum and what he did, and you guys are viewing it as disappointment in Ruffalo's uh, inserting himself into a situation that should belong to DuPont. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that's like, you know, we, we both are reading it in different ways, and, 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 I, and I think that, like, it's not that I dis... Like, what you guys are saying makes a hundred percent sense, but I just what I was what I was latching onto was was uh, him looking at what Chatham is doing, not what Muffalo is doing. Mm. <laughs> and I think this, if this were really Chatham's story, it does not necessarily. I, I won't say it doesn't still succeed at anything, but. I, I feel like it's a much weaker movie if you view it that way because Channing Tatum throughout the movie is kind of uncertain and I found him of all the characters to be the most unreadable character in terms of what is he thinking. Like, I understand he acts out in certain ways and he distances himself from people, but I don't see like the gears turning in his head as yeah. like an adult who's making decisions. Um and so I think if he really is the anchor of the film and the thing that things are just happening to, then you're right. The ending would not make sense and the film wouldn't feel motivated. But from the beginning, it certainly felt to me like this is John DuPont's story. It's weird because I kind of saw it as like both DuPont and uh, Tatum's story because they kind of seem like sort of similar characters and that they're always like living in the shadow of something greater, you know, that Chatham is in the shadow of, uh, Muffalo. Um, because they, you know, he's Tatum is striving to be the best and to be, I guess, successful on his own. Um, because I, the, the Olympics where they won gold medals, they won it together or they won at the, they were competing, I guess, not together, but they were in the same Olympics. But I feel like since Ruffalo's character was more established, he got all the attention. And that's why in the beginning, when we see Tatum, you know, he's very lonely. And, um, you know, all he's doing is basically giving like, you know, $20 speeches to like middle school kids and going home and doing nothing, basically. Like it, I feel like that was uh, pretty well conveyed that like, you know, not every gold medal winner comes home and gets to continue to do what they want, I guess. Yeah. Um, but and then, you know, 
DuPont is sort of in a similar situation where he's the the heir to this successful empire and really he didn't you know he's wanting to accomplish something but he's not and he's overshadowed by that and obviously his mother is very overbearing and i feel like they they're sort of similar in that fashion and that you know ultimately Tatum wants to be successful on his own and that's why he's he's totally drinking the DuPont Kool-Aid in the first half of the movie because he thinks that this is his way, you know, to to shine and um anytime Carell brings up, "Oh, we got to get your brother here." You know, he's he basically the idea is pretty much shot down, but like mostly because Ruffalo just says, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to move my family and all this, but, yeah. um, and, and I don't know, it might be just me, but I got a weird feeling that obviously I think the, the main point is like, you know, Steven said, and I agree that there's this power struggle between Carell and Ruffalo, but I also thought there was this weird, like you said, there is, there is some weird, like sexual tension going on between mm-hmm. Carell and Tatum. And there's that one brief scene right after we jump ahead in time where they're like in some room wrestling, maybe, I don't know, but it's like really dark and <laughs> Corell, or Tatum looks like he's just kind of taking it. Like, it's just weird. It's a, <laughs> I'm going to say in, in general, wrestling seems to have a lot of yeah, weird there's sexual a lot, tension. There's a lot of like, yeah, uh, undertones for sure. But I mean, I almost feel like in a way that would like Corell had some sort of affection for Tatum, um, and uh, when he realizes that Tatum is going to go off on his own, you know, in the scene where Ruffalo is negotiating that, you know, he wants his brother to be paid, even though he's not going to be living on the estate anymore. Um, I also kind of saw that as like, you know, the brother is the reason why Tatum is leaving, and that is something that makes him mad. I don't know. That but, was just what but I thought. I think that do. whole conversation only takes place because Tatum says he is leaving already, and Ruffalo is not saying, "Hey, you're gonna let him go, and you're gonna keep paying him." He's like, "Hey, he's leaving. I'm staying, but I will only st-. like." His whole thing is that like, I promise to stay, even though my brother's leaving, as long as you keep paying him. So I like I mm-hmm. kind of yeah, but I mean, but I, yeah, I no like it, I'm just saying that like. Uh, Tatum decided to leave on his own and I think you know Ruffalo negotiated with uh, them to have him still be paid because he's looking out for him yeah um, but I do feel that like that affected uh, DuPont because he had some somewhat like he he realized in there that it's like oh he's not only taking over my power but he's like he's sending away the guy that or the, the guy is leaving he is leaving because of him of his brother yeah. And he likes having Tatum around because they've developed this affection over the years. Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily see it as him blaming Ruffalo for Tatum leaving so much as Tatum leaving does represent him having lost power. And he basically lost the power to Ruffalo, who now has the upper hand and looks out for his brother even as he goes away. Um so I, I guess it's similar. I, I don't know that he blames Ruffalo for him leaving so much as like him leaving represents how much he has lost. And Ruffalo being in his corner for that tells him that he is still inferior to Ruffalo in terms of being an authority figure or a coach in Channing Tatum's life. 
let alone whatever sexual stuff is going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll definitely concede that the ending is not out of left field as I was kind of claiming. Like, I agree that that I agree that there, there's there's motivation behind it. I just it it doesn't like doesn't fix the film as a whole for me, but I it doesn't seem as like weird to me i guess but still i you need to concede like if you if you watched it and walked away thinking where did that come from then something about the movie failed to convey this uh so but it is weird that kind of goes back to my my belief that this is flawed in the way that it tells the story and tries to motivate things to people yeah because if you don't know going in or if you're not watching in a way that brings things to light then it is a very cold film yeah uh it's i mean it's definitely a cold movie and i think it's not something that is going to turn people on to to it you know um <laughs> turn but, <that> uh, <laughs> but um i don't know like i i certainly felt like the people in my audience didn't know what was going to happen because when steve Carell pulls out the gun everyone gasped like super loudly yeah oh and like to me i don't know maybe it's just me being dumb or saying that you know i I don't know to me like if i'm a regular viewer like when i saw the trailer for fox catcher i didn't know what was gonna happen like i didn't know the story um but i got a sense from the trailer that okay some bad shit is gonna happen because just the way that it's cut together and the music is very foreboding and you know, it ends with that shot of Corell holding the gun. I mean, just the way that it's cut is makes you think like, okay, this guy has some problems and something bad's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and that's when I went to, that's when I, you know, Wikipedia the story and was like, oh shit, like this is how it went down. Um, but to me, you know, you kind of get the sense that if you, if you didn't know what was going to happen, that something bad is going to happen. And that, I don't know, to me, it, it wouldn't have been surprising if I didn't know what was going to happen. Just because I, just because like everything from like the 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 mood and the buildup is very unsettling. So you you get the sense that it's not going to end well for somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and and just like the whole the the absurdity of the story really is something that you know like true crime is almost always weirder than movie crime. And I, and I kind of like knowing that, I guess going in wasn't exactly bothersome to me. And the fact that like, okay, like this guy clearly has mental issues and, uh, you know, his reasonings are probably justified in his mind, but they're not to anybody else. Yeah. But that's why I really appreciated the fact that we never got the sense of why. I mean, we do, but it's never fully like you. You get the how it could happen to this character, but not why. You you never get. You never get like what Dupont is thinking. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I need like the the classic villain move where he sits there for five minutes and explains why he's doing it just long enough that. Uh, and I would have gotten so, away with it too if it weren't for you kids. Yeah, you meddling <laughs> kids. Um, yeah, because I think that that last scene where he's just watching himself in the documentary, I think that's like a really chilling scene. 
like he's because he's just sitting there and you just don't know what he's contemplating but you know that it's like okay we're coming up on the the bad stuff yeah but you're just you're still like very unsettled by the fact that this guy has clearly gone way off the deep end like at that point all i know is that if it was snowing that day mark ruffalo would still be alive (laughs) you know what's crazy is that i read that uh ruffalo's glasses that he wears in the movie are the real dave schultz's glasses that he wore (laughs) really he uh dave schultz's wife gave him his glasses to wear in the movie which is pretty hardcore that's like i that's like a vh1 pop-up video like (laughs) factoid that (laughs) he's so method he wore the actual glasses that that character wears yeah the blood in that scene is the real blood of the character (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's that's like a total like yeah i mean it's a total like i'm gonna wear the real i mean i don't know it's pretty that's pretty intense to be i think that i I don't know but uh i know that i looked up the real mark schultz and he looks very similar to channing datum Mm. so they at least they i think they cast them pretty well i don't I didn't look up uh, David Schultz, but they all like nailed their roles. I thought in terms of, I don't know everything. All right, well, I think we're fizzling out, so mm-hmm. I think we should uh, say goodbye to everybody and head out. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the episode and the discussion. Well, thanks, guys, for joining me. Yep, thanks for having us. Yep, and uh, we will see you next week. All right, later. <laughs>